intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Today we're going to see three things, harmful hearing, hearing well and helpful hearing. So let's just kick in. Harmful hearing. Everyone have a look at verse 22. What you've got in James chapter 1 verse 22 is a cause and then an effect. What's the effect? I actually want to start with the effect, right? Because when you look at the effect, sometimes you just go, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, What's the effect? Well, if you read that verse, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What's the risk that James is talking about here? The risk is you actually being deceived. And I just want to stop for a moment and just consider the nature of deception. The reality is that deception can come from outside of you. And, and kind of the definition of deception is you don't know that you're deceived. You think a thing is true and it's not true. And you don't know it. That's the nature of deception. And there is a fair bit going on in our culture at the moment of people wanting to be resistant to external deception. What does it sound like? Conspiracies. Isn't it? Isn't that the thing? Like conspiracies are running... Right. I mean, they said on the news not that long ago that down in Victoria, people didn't want to get a nasal swab because they thought they'd get some kind of chip implanted in their nose. What that is, is that is people saying, I'm on guard against external deception. I don't want you to deceive me. That's what conspiracy theorists are on about. But there is a type of deception... That is way worse than external deception. Self-deception. Way worse. This one takes a cake for me. Why? You don't even need anyone else. Like you can just do it yourself. You can just be totally deceived yourself. This is, I remember hearing on uh, SBS Insight years ago, uh, they had a, uh, a, uh, an episode on, on liars and compulsive liars. And one of the compulsive liars said... You start telling lies and then you end up believing the lies that you tell. And you can't distinguish between what's true and what's not. This is us, right? We can do this. We can deceive ourselves very, very quickly and very, very easily. So how does James say that you do this? If the the risk is that we could end up in a place that is really messy and we wouldn't even know it and we could do it all ourselves, how do you get there? Well, James is really, really clear here in verse 22. The way that you get there is you split hearing and doing when it comes to God and when it comes to his word. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, there is a problem with the way that humans listen to God. That's what James is saying. There is a problem with the way that humans listen to God. And here's the problem. We separate knowledge and action. That's the problem. We can sit and we can hear things and do nothing about it. We can sit. You can all sit. I can sit in church and we can agree and we go, bravo, Peter. (laughs) 
That was great. That was a great, wasn't that a great line? I agree with that. That's a good one. And then do nothing. And then do nothing. Why do we hear and not do anything about the things that we say, that we, that we hear, I should say? You know, you probably heard it said before that people are educated beyond their obedience. I mean, that's, that's probably true in the church. What, what is this dynamic in humanity that we sit and we gather information, which is, which is hearing, but then do nothing with it? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three quick thoughts about what I think this is. Here's the first one. The split between knowledge and action happens, I think, because theoretical agreement doesn't require anything of us. So a preacher gets up, preaches about something, and you go, yep, I agree with you. You see, if you think that scripture is mainly just or merely theoretical, you can sit there and you can agree with that and you don't actually have to do anything about it. And I think it's a misunderstanding of what scripture actually is to treat it as merely theoretical. Scripture is never less than theoretical, but it's way more than that. Here's the second one. We split knowledge and action, I think, because by hearing we can appear to be someone we are not, while underneath doing what we really want. This is kind of my story in the church. I grew up in the church and I worked out that church people are pretty easy to fool. Right? And you can do the right things, you can say the right things, but underneath you can just keep doing whatever you want. You know, in a group this size, let me be, let me be straight with you about this. In a group this size, some of you are probably looking at porn. Statistically. Why do I know that? Because there's a bunch of pastors out there at the moment that are probably looking at porn. Now I'll say to you, not this pastor, right? Not this pastor, but they're out there. But here's the bottom line. You might go, Peter, okay, you might be clean about that. Well, what about these other things? And I go, well, okay, well, it's going to be patchy sometimes. You know, I can stand up in front of you and have moments where I'm preaching for my own glory, even as I tell you that I'm preaching for God's glory. Sorry to break it to you. You see, theoretical kind of agreement, listening and hearing without actually doing, allows us the freedom, we think, to kind of do whatever we want. Which brings me to the next point. Here's the last one. Knowledge, I think another reason why we split knowledge and action is because knowledge brings a sense of control. You think about how powerful knowledge is in our culture. I mean, the more that we, that we know, the more that we feel like we can actually control. And I think some of this is part of the God-given dominion that God created humanity with way back in Genesis chapter 1. Um, and God, God would have us to gain knowledge to be able to exercise appropriate dominion over the world. But what happens with us is we gather more and more information. We think that the more information we gather, the more we know, the more powerful we'll be. Because at some level, it actually works like that in our culture. But who knows, it can just blow out, right? 
And, and if you've ever been anxious, you know this, right? Because when you're anxious, one of the things that you do is you go and you start to gather more information. Because you, you think that if you know more and more and more stuff, you can control more and more and more stuff. When in reality, the anxious person, when they gather more information, they find out that they control less and less of what they didn't know they didn't control. You with me? Kind of. It's not the rainer, it's just preaching those. You've heard the, um, the saying, the, the well-known cultural proverb, knowledge is power. Um, knowledge has an incredible amount of power to do good things, but it also has an incredible amount of power to be destructive. Now, here's, here's my summary of the problem um, that I've just been cashing out with you. The problem with the way that we listen, the way that we hear, is that we have a tendency to use knowledge for our own ends to get what we want. That's our problem. You know, our deeper loves override what we hear in the word and we glean from it what is helpful to us and our agenda and we ignore what's not. You know, one of the things, and Eugene Peterson talks about this in his book called Eat This Book. He, uh, he says that one of our problems that we've got is, is that we treat scripture as information. And one of the realities about information, when you treat Scripture as information, you sit there and you only use it when it's convenient. And you, you kind of pick through it and you pick the bits that you like. Like, does it go where you want it to go? I mean, this is a classic question that's been uh, asked in churches before. What does it mean to you? I just go, well, at one level, I just go... We'll get to that, but at the start, like, who really cares? What does God mean? What is he actually saying and how do we need to fit in with that? You know, if, if you sit and you listen, even to me talking today, and you're sitting there treating it as information, picking through it, picking out the colour M&Ms that you like, what's really ruling you is your agenda underneath what you really want to do. And that's why there's a split between hearing and doing. Because what's really ruling underneath is what you want to do. And I would ask you this question. Do you treat God's word as information only? Now go back to James chapter 1, verse 23 to 24. He breaks into a metaphor here. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, there's a bunch of ways to understand uh, perhaps what James is getting at with this metaphor, but here's one. Here's one. And I think this one's um, pretty prominent, and, it's, and I'll say it in the form of a question. Who does that? Who looks at their face intently in a mirror and goes away and forgets what it looks like? I think, I think this is the point that James is making. It's like, who does that? That just doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense that you come to church. It doesn't make any sense you'd listen to a podcast. It doesn't make any sense that you'd listen to an audio Bible but not actually be listening to it. You see, like if your deeper desires and the agenda that's going on underneath you is what you really want, you treat scripture like information, 
you're actually sitting there looking like you're hearing, but you're not actually hearing. You're not hearing the way that God would have you hear. You see, James wants you to know that the proper connection between hearing the word and doing is natural and direct. It's, it's a natural, direct connection. Here we go. This, this is a 50-cent coin, right? Is, is my metaphor. <laughs> it's got two sides. I mean, you could argue there's an edge, right? But let's just go heads and tails. It's got two sides, right? And, and you could come to me, like imagine one of these sides is hearing and the other one is doing, right? I think that James conceptualises hearing and doing like this coin, that they're connected and they're intermingled with one another. They're just dynamically, naturally and directly connected. So, you could come up to me and we could have a conversation and I could say, could you take away one of the sides? He's go, well, I mean, I could probably just sand it down and get rid of the impression that's on the other side. And I just go, no. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Take away one of the sides for me. You just go, well, you can't do it. You can't do it. And I think this is what James is talking about with hearing and doing the word of God. It's not like they're both, um, they're both completely distinct from each other and then you, you, you do one thing here and then you do another thing over here. They're always connected. When you hear properly, you do. You with me? When you hear properly, you do. That's how it works. If you are really tuned into God's voice, action follows. Always. Always. If you don't, you only think you're hearing, but you're not actually hearing. Are you all with me? Do you see how that is a place of deception? You're just deceived at that point. You're sitting, you're listening, but you're not really hearing Because the evidence of your hearing deeply is that you're actually doing something. Here's how uh, Eugene Peterson puts it. What we know about God and what we do for God have a way of getting broken apart in our lives. The moment the organic unity of belief and behaviour is damaged in any way, we are incapable of living out the full humanity for which we were created. So... Who wants to be fully human? (laughs) Fully human. Now, I'm sure you've heard this conversation take place. It takes place between, uh, often between spouses and not wanting to be too too much of a generalist. Um, It happens, typically wives are saying something to their husbands and their husbands are the ones that are kind of slow to pick up on the the stuff. But let's not be discriminatory in church because that's... That, that's ordinary, but let's, let's just go with that. You'd, I mean, you would have identified this in lots of different places, right? Here's, here's how the conversation basically rolls. Someone comes along and they just, they're really excited, right? They have some news to tell. And it's such good news and it involves the other person that there's a particular kind of reaction that would be appropriate to the news, right? So they come along and they, they tell them this news, whatever it is, right? Imagine... A wife, in particular, uh, saying this to a husband or a friend saying it to one of their other friends, right? 
And, and the husband or the friend hears this amazing news and just goes, huh. <laughs> right? And I wonder whether you've ever said, said this. The person delivering the news goes, no, 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 you're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. What's the problem there? The problem there is that the news is of such a type that it ought to arouse and engender a particular type of response in the person. And it didn't. And so when, when you're the one who's speaking, you kind of go, no, no, you're not hearing me. Let me just double back around and tell you again because you haven't heard what I'm saying. Now, in a sense, they have heard, but they haven't heard because it hasn't produced the kind of response that is appropriate. And this is what it is like for the word. We, we need to hear well, don't we? We just need to hear well. Because that's the obvious next question. Like, you, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking about this, you just go, okay, uh, so the way you hear is really important. So, Peter, help me to hear well. How does, how does Scripture teach me to hear well? Now, Scripture is very concerned about the way that you hear. Uh, you would know this saying of Jesus, and I'll, I'll just say half, see if you can say the rest of it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's that about? It matters the way that you listen. I mean, it shows up in um, the messages to the churches in Revelation. Revelation 2 verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You've got this um, conversation that Jesus has with a lawyer in uh, Luke 10, 25 to 26. And behold, the lawyer uh, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? Listen to this question. How do you read it? It matters how you read. It matters how you hear. Let's go to number two. Hearing well. Hearing well. Have a look at verse 25 in James chapter 1. James tells you how to hear well. And the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, James is clear with all of us, don't just listen to the scriptures to serve your agenda. The purpose of scripture is to change your agenda. That's what it's about. It's about pulling you into the story of Scripture. We don't shape God's Word to suit us. God's Word shapes us or you haven't heard it. So let's just quickly unpack verse 25. James leads off there. He talks about looking into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now James is probably talking about the Old Testament, the words of Jesus here. But in general, he's talking about God's word um, in a general sense. And, and he's probably talking about the fact that God's word, the prophecy in, in the Old Testament was that, um, of the new covenant is that God's law, his word would be written on our hearts. It'd be an inside job. And James calls this law the law of liberty, which doesn't make any sense. Right? Because laws are always about rules. So how could it be a law of liberty? Well, here's one way. God's law tells you who God is, who you are, and what is normal. 
God's law tells you who God is, it tells you who you are, and it tells you what is normal. Yeah, guidelines are the, sorry, laws are the guidelines in which we run. This is the way that we operate most freely. Now, imagine a goldfish just decided one day, it's just, I'm sick of swimming around this bowl, right? It's like 30 centimetres, I've seen everything a trillion times, they probably forget it, but I've seen everything a trillion times, I'm, d- I'm done with it, right? Looks really cool out there, right? So the goldfish um, takes a running kind of jump and a swimming jump and, and gets out. And as it flops on the bench, it screams out with joy and exclamation, I'm free! Is the goldfish free? And the goldfish is about to be dead. Why is the goldfish going to be dead? Because it broke the laws by which it was designed to operate within. You see that? It broke those laws and stuff just went haywire. It's not living the life anymore that it was designed to live. It broke outside of those guidelines. That is the kind of thing I think James is talking about in this verse. You just better look into God's law and find out who he is, who you are and what's normal. And then be normal. That's, we are all about that at the project. We are all about, just got to keep an eye on the time, we are all about being normal. So you with me on that? That's what being truly human is. Like when you reach true humanity, you'll just go, huh, that's what it feels like. That just feels really normal. You know, no one's setting up some kind of concert to proclaim your praises. It's like all of a sudden, that's what shalom is, right? That's where everything just kind of operates the way it's meant to operate. But if you try to bust out of the way that you've been made, it's not going to go well for you. You know, we were made in the image of God. We need to learn about him, learn about us, and swim in the context we were made for. And I want to say to you, that is freedom. Who, who here has been a Christian for a long time who just knows I'm never more fully alive than when I'm actually close to Jesus? Does anyone know that? So you know it, right? That's, that's what this is. This is the law of liberty. You get close to Jesus and you follow him and you do the things that he says, there's liberty in there. James goes on. He talks about perseverance. You know, when you look at the word, you've got to hang in there. There's a sense here that you've got to, you've got to kind of be bent over it. Uh, John Piper said uh, years ago, it's always stuck with me, he said that uh, when it comes to the Bible, if you rake, you'll get leaves and if you dig, you might get gold. Here's the bottom line, like let's just be honest, we can, we can just be honest. Um, who knows the Bible is really hard to understand sometimes? All right? You're not alone, like the disciple Peter's up for that. Listen to this, this is what he says about Paul. There are some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand. Alright, so if you're sitting there and you go, man, I find it hard sometimes, it's just like, yep. And Peter would sit next to you and just go, yeah, sometimes it's tough, man, to work out what Paul's talking about. 
So you're going to have to bend over it in a sense, get to work on it. I mean, at the moment, Jaden's running um, some workshops on Sunday night about how to read your Bible so you can get gold out of it, all right? Hit, hit that up. Um, it's on Zoom. You can find that in our uh, Facebook group. What's the last thing that James actually says here is he says, uh, you need to be a doer who acts. Be drawn into God's word, engage with Jesus in it, and then do what he says. Do what he says to do. All right. Let me give you a few practical tips, and some of these you're just going to go, that's weird, right? Because sometimes I do things that are just a little bit weird, but if it works for you, that's cool. We can all just be weird together. If it doesn't, that's fine, okay? Find something weirder to do, because we're all weird in some way. Here we go. How, how to hear well. Here's the first one. You're just going to have to read all right. Um, this is a really basic one to lead off, but some of you probably are just not into scripture regularly. And and I just want to say to you, um, that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and I want to say, you don't really have any excuse. Like there was probably a time where people would kind of go. Yeah, I'm not a reader, man. And now it's like, I mean, how many Bible apps can you get? Um, how many audio Bibles exist out there? Like there's more podcasts of sermons out there than you have minutes in your lifetime to listen to. I mean, I love um, David Suchet does a great audio Bible of the NIV. It's just a classic pommy voice. It's, I mean, he can say stuff that's like brutal and you just go, that sounds really nice. Because he's got that nice pommy kind of, kind of voice about him. I mean, I, I use Audible, right, which is audio books, which is, I mean, I always feel like I'm lying. I go, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's like, oh, I'm not really, but I kind of am. And I don't even, I'm audibling a book. But then that's weird. People don't even know what that is. There's actually no excuse I don't think, for anyone not to be in Scripture. And let's just be honest about it. If you actually loved Jesus enough, that would be reflected in how much you're into his word. Can we just, can we just say that? So probably at the end of the day, if we're not in Scripture, we're not reading anything in Scripture, we probably don't love Jesus as much as we think we do because we'd want to hear what he has to say. All right. Second one, slow down in your reading. We, we have a cultural habit of reading quickly and shallowly. That's what we have. I mean, you just, that, right? Everyone knows what I'm talking about. You just flip through stuff and you scan stuff. I remember when I was um, in my early 20s, which is just five years ago, there was a fella in um, Sydney... Uh, who I knew about, who made this commitment to read a book of the Bible every day. Now, that's cool. I'm, I'm all good for him to do that. But I'm just letting you know, like my speed of reading Scripture now is less like a race car and more like a cow chewing its cud. Uh, and I would just encourage you, slow down. Pray with your Bible open. I'll be flat reading a chapter some days. All right? Why? Well... 
like bubble gum, you know, like you get some bubble gum. It's like you've got you to work that thing over before you can blow a bubble out of it, right? You can't just blow a bubble straight away. Well, it's a bit like that with the word. That's a terrible metaphor, but it is, right? You've just got to get it in and just chew it over and just meditate on it and think over it. Pray over it. Pray with your Bible open so that you and God can have a conversation about it. Use your imagination. One of my favourite um, quotes paraphrased, um, from Raina Maria Rilke is this, and it's not a Christian quote, but I think it's so apt about the scriptures. The kind of reader this book requires is one who does not always remain bent over the pages, but one who often leans back and closes their eyes over a line they've been reading and its meaning spreads through their blood. Don't you love that? that that's what we're doing. So, slide, you might, seriously, you might go... Peter, sometimes it's just a line for me. Forget the chapter, right? I get maybe a verse and I just go, bravo. Like, do, just loiter and hang around there, meditate on it, think on it. Third one, keep me on the time here. Oof. Take it personally. The Bible wasn't written to be an encyclopedia. It was written to real people in real times and places. And you, if you love Jesus, you have the Spirit within you to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in your life. So here's the bottom line. Scripture is written as a personal message to people. And you go, well, I'm not strictly speaking that person. I just go, well, you kind of are, but I'll, let, I'll give you that one. Right? But you've got the Spirit. And what's the Spirit going to do? The Spirit is going to make Scripture personal to you because it's always meant to be personal so I would encourage you hang around in the scripture that you're reading until you can get it personal and if you need to get some um, some commentaries or something a really good commentary you can get a shorter version of it or a longer one which is kind of useful for everyone as the expositors bible commentary I think you can get a two volume version or you can get like a ten volume version the church has got um, uh, this commentary um, just just understand it's just going to be hard to understand sometimes reading scripture and just be prepared to wrestle with it. That's the blessing of um, being a preacher is that every week we've just got to turn up and say, oh, okay, that one, we're up to that bit. Okay, let's get in and let's have the wrestle. I mean, Jaden and I, he's, he's starting to get used to it. I'll be wrestling with something. I'll just go, right, I'm just going to come in and sit on the floor in his office because he doesn't have any other chairs in his office. So, which is a bit sad, but it's all, it's, you know, participating in the sufferings of Christ. And I'll sit in there and, um, and we'll wrestle over something. See, I think you're meant to do that. And, and a good place to do that would be um, community groups. Here's, here's the last one, just throwing it out, trying to be quick here. Submit to it. Um, this is the bit I was talking about, about me doing weird stuff, right? But, and I'm just going to tell you, and you're probably going, it's not that weird, but I, I totally believe that there's a connection between what you do physically and what's going on with your spirit, all right? We are embodied souls, so what's going on in our hearts affects our bodies, and what's going on in our bodies affects our hearts. That's it. I just laid that down. So sometimes when I'm struggling with believing lies and I'm sitting down reading scripture, you know what I do sometimes? And I've never told anyone this before, so please keep it to yourselves, but this is going live in a few days. I will literally, I'll put, 
I'll put my Bible on top of my head. And what, what would that mean? It would mean in that moment that I'm actually praying and I'm physically doing something and saying, God, I want my mind to be submitted to you. And sometimes when I'm, I'm lying, sometimes I'll read scripture when I'm lying around. And you know, one of the things that I'll do is I'll actually take scripture, the scripture that I've been reading, my actual Bible, not my phone, and I'm literally just going to lie it over my chest where my heart is, all right? And sometimes I'll doze off and it's like, I'm going, God, I want what you say to be over my heart. Not just my physical heart, but it's representative of the centre of my, my person. You, you could do some stuff like that. Probably don't tell too many people, all right? Because <laughs> it's weird. But you could, you could do some of that. Find some physical things to do that represent the truth that you believe about Scripture. Now, I'm going to really get going here. Here's, here's the last piece in the middle about uh, hearing well. Uh, if, if you've been listening to me, you're just going, yeah, I, uh, I, think, I think I'm doing pretty well with uh, the Word. Um, and like seriously, like I'm not having a go. Like you just go, I, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well. I read the Bible every day. I memorise verses. I've memorised the whole of Leviticus. Um, well, James has a test for you. So just have a look at verse 26 to 27. And his test is uh, kind of testing you to see whether your religion is the real deal. And, and he's kind of saying, all right, here's your test to see if you're in the hood with God. All right, you think you're in the hood? Here's your test. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How do you, how do you, know, how do you know how you're going? Well, here's four questions, uh, three questions I should say. Is your tongue bridled? Do you help the helpless, the widows and the orphans, immigrants, impoverished third world dwellers, handicapped, homeless? Are you unstained by the world? I think what, what James would tell us today is that if you, this is one of those surveys, you know, if you answered no to any of those questions, you need to keep working on your hearing, the way that you hear. All right. Here's where I'm going to finish. Helpful hearing. I don't know whether you noticed it as, reading, as we were reading through, but there's a couple of bookends in this passage, verse uh, twenty. 2 to 25, uh, you know what they are? You can either hear, do nothing and be deceived or hear, do something and be blessed. So in a very simple way, I could ask you this morning, which one do you want? <laughs> do you want to be blessed? I mean... Fair chance, if I ask everyone to put their hands up who wants to be blessed, I would hope that it would be most of us, if not all of us. 
What do you need to do to be blessed? We need to listen to God. We need to really listen. I want you to notice something in the, uh, in the text that I, uh, I haven't addressed at this point in time. It's in verse 24 and 25. For he looks at himself, this is verse 24, and goes away and at once, what's that, that next word? Forgets what he was like. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets. Forgets what? Well, the word. And whose word would that be? God's. And you go, whose? (laughs) Well, a person's, the, the person of God. You know... What we're talking about when we're talking about the Word is we're not actually just talking about some individual standalone kind of book. We're talking about something that's proceeded from God himself. It's his Word. And here's here's the gut-wrenching part of it. You see, to, to forget God's Word is to forget him. To ignore him. Do you feel that? On Thursday, I was working in the church offices just down here. And uh, I decided I'd go home early. Honestly, I was just absolutely hammered. And I just thought I'd I'd like to have a coffee. And the coffees are good at home, right? We've worked the science out pretty well at home. So I was like, I'm going to go home early and I'm going to have a coffee at home. And I'll work the rest of the day at home. It was about um, three o'clock. I knew that I didn't have time to put a coffee on when I got home and have it all prepared and ready to drink before I actually had my next appointment at 3.30, which I was doing a ministry supervision thing with someone. Um, And so what I did is I sent a text to Ange saying, can you put the small coffee pot on the stove, because we use stovetop espresso, and um, so that I can have a coffee when I get home, right? Now, literally, within, within 10 seconds, the phone rings, all right? It's Ange. Because the bit I haven't told you is that Ange and my normal kind of tradition in the afternoon is when we both get home from work, you know what we do? We put a big coffee pot on and we make two coffees and we sit down and we talk while we have coffee. Why do you reckon the phone's ringing? She thought I'd forgotten about her. Now, I asked her if I could tell this story, and she's fine with me telling this story, but she thought I had forgotten about her, and she rang up and she goes, why Why am I putting the little coffee pot on? And I said, well, you were... And it wasn't like that, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I'll see that. I said, I knew that you went out to someone's house and had afternoon tea with them. I thought that you would have already had one, which is why I said that. But before I explain, you know, you know what she said to me? This is what she said to me. She goes, isn't this what we do? We sit down and we have a coffee together. Do you see what's going on there? She, she thought I'd forgotten about her. That's what she thought. And there is something particularly kind of grievous about being forgotten about, isn't there? I hadn't forgotten about her. There's other times I have. 
for sure, but I hadn't forgotten about him. I mean, how many times have we, have we done this to God? I'm too tired. It's too early. I'm too busy for you. I think I can handle this one today. Um, no real need to have you um, help me out. I think I've got it. I'll let you know if I have some trouble. This is us, right? I mean, this is the warning back in Deuteronomy. And you, you find, and music team can come up now, uh, you find in Deuteronomy this warning that, look out, like when your stomachs are filled and you get into the promised land, be careful that you don't forget God. And then you have this prophetic rebuke in the book of Hosea that says, your, your stomachs got filled and you forgot about me. This theme of forgetting God runs the whole way through the Bible. It runs the whole way through the Old Testament. Do you feel the grievous nature of that? What if that was you? What if you were God and you had to deal with someone like you? Well, that would be something you could say sorry about. Now, I've got good news for you, and here's the good news, all right? God, I want you to hear me, God never, ever forgets you. Even when you forget him, he never, ever, ever forgets you. And there's sometimes when we get into really, really hard times in our lives that we actually cry out and we say, You've forgotten me. This is really hard. You've forgotten me. And over and over and over and over in Scripture, God says, I haven't forgotten you. Listen to this from Isaiah. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. What does God say? See, that the people of Israel are going, this is rough. This is really hard. This is really difficult. You've forgotten about me. What does Isaiah say on behalf of God, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. What's he saying? He's saying even a mum can forget her own child. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. As if that's not enough, Jesus comes and he dies on a Roman cross. And God inspires Paul in Romans 8 to pen these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> he will never forget you. He will never forget you. So, don't forget him. Don't forget him.
listen to his word. 